Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on this week's Gegen Pressing, we're joined by German football journalist, broadcaster, and all round expert, Raphael Honigstein. Dortmund and Leverkusen get a deep dive with the Baden Württemberg derby between Stuttgart and Freiburg, Bayern dismantle Hertha, and how did title potentials Leipzig get on at Wolfsburg? Finally, we couldn't ignore another German derby, Klopp versus Tuchel in England. All that and much more on Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Chris Williams, and I'm joined, as ever, by the North American area manager for Transfermarkt, Manuel Weith. Manu, how are you? Yeah, hey, how's it going? Manu and I are joined by another special guest this week and we're delighted to have him back on the podcast. He was last on just prior to the release of Bring the Noise, his superb biographical book on Jurgen Klopp. He is, of course, German football journalist for outlets such as The Athletic and Der Spiegel, Raphael Honigstein. Rafa, welcome back. Thanks, Chris. And hi, Manu. Lovely to be back on with you guys. We start then on Friday night where Borussia Dortmund hosted Hoffenheim. Marco Rose's new side have been a little hot and cold, if we can even say that, after just two previous Bundesliga games. But how did they get on in match day three's curtain raiser? And maybe a chance. Can he turn? Good save. Mukoko trying to squeeze it in. And they have scored. Erling Haaland. So often the hero for Dortmund. Scores in front of the yellow wall. And that might just be the winner. Rafa, I'm going to come straight to you. Erling Haaland has rescued Dortmund and they were dominant throughout the match. But is their defence their Achilles heel yet again? In a nutshell, yes. But their defence doesn't start with the back four. Their defence starts with the whole team not playing very well without the ball. This has been a problem for Dortmund. Under Lucien Favre, the idea was always to fall back and wait for the opposition to make a mistake. And that resulted sometimes in a very passive approach. And Dortmund being a little bit slow and being very far away from their opponents. And I saw remnants of that farther approach in the second half where Hoffenheim really pushed and, and Dortmund was so deep and were just waiting to concede the goals. And it was very disappointing and frustrating to see Dortmund falling back into their old bad habits. Uh, but of course, if you have so much quality up front, you will sometimes find a way to rescue yourself and, and the finish from Haaland from a really difficult angle was just absolutely superb so yes uh, they got out of jail but it was another very underwhelming performance I felt yeah completely agree 100% Manu do you think like Rafa's just said there that the problem is throughout the pitch I'm gonna ask you two questions one is there a Jaden Sancho sized hole in that team at the moment and two does Matt Hummel's return at some point completely fix that or is it a problem further up the pitch as well defending just as well it is at the back it's it's a collective approach isn't it that i mean we see it in the body language we see it in in the way they work against the ball that 
you said get the sense that the entire team switches off at times and has this ability to throw away a very good position time and time again. And I mean, it's in the little details that they seem to take a lead, be very dominant, throw away chances, but also give the opponent's chances. I think Rafa is quite right. It's a collective thing, isn't it? And yeah, Mats Hummels, obviously Axel Witzel isn't a centre-back. I think he he's highlighted this now on, on many occasions. Maybe him going back into midfield, although there's been some silly rumours about Juventus Turin now that they are looking at, at him to bring in uh, before the deadline day closes. But yeah, him going back into midfield maybe and then Mats Hummels going into, into that centre-back role, maybe that brings in some stability. But yeah, I, I agree that it's a collective approach. Whereas with Jadon Sancho, um, I didn't see the Manchester United game today, but I I don't think uh, he did play, but I don't think he did very well there either. So I'm not sure he would actually be in the kind of form right now to help Dortmund in that sense. And they, I mean, they did score three goals. If you score three goals, you know, your job, that should be enough. Um, 90% of all games, that should be enough. So I don't think the attack is necessarily the problem. Yeah, it's interesting to know also that Rennie Marit came onto Twitter today, I think it was, or it might have been late last night, to rubbish that Witzel story moving on, completely shot it down. That's, I think, sometimes the benefit of uh, social media when assistant coaches or head coaches can come on and say, no, that's not particularly good. But talking about Dortmund squad and could people move, could people come in, Rafa, do you see them doing any business before the deadline day? If If you look at their squad at the moment, it's okay. Obviously, we've know that a few players have left, most notably in that central area, Delaney, Sancho, a little bit further forward. But do you think they need to bring anybody in to either shore that midfield up or defence? Because, I mean, their attack's pretty good, as we've already said. Yeah, I mean, it's not a great secret that they're still looking for a right back. Uh, there were talks with uh, Diego Dalot, who I think will stay at Man United now, but Dortmund wants somebody else because Thomas Munier is, is good defensively, and adds a bit of experience and height and, and physicality, but going forward with the ball, very limited. And pass like a sort of the opposite, who's a converted number 10. Good on the ball. You can play football, but defensively all over the place. And neither commands a lot of trust and, and confidence. So I think that's an area where they'd like to bring somebody in. I am less convinced that they need another attacking midfielder or winger. Yes, you would like somebody with the one versus one qualities, incision and pace of Jaden Sancho who wouldn't. But I think you can probably compensate that by having Marlon and Haaland together up front and one of them running into the channels and then having a slightly more narrow midfield with hopefully the fullbacks providing that width. But that's just another reason why I think on that right-hand side, there is a bit of a problem. Whether the time is enough to really improve that, I, I'm not so sure, but I think that's that's the one area that I'd be... I'd be looking to try and fix. So it's quite interesting that you've mentioned that because I think we saw it earlier on this weekend that they've been linked with Callum Hudson-Odoi and I think that's taken a little bit more of a firmer link this afternoon with the likes of Sport Eins backing up what, what Sport Build have already said. Manu, is he the answer? Obviously, he was heavily touted towards Bayern at one point. Looked like he was an absolute shoe-in to join Bayern um, last year or the, the, the winter before. Now he could swap over to Dortmund. Is is that something you could see? Is it what Dortmund need? I find this an odd rumor. I mean, this, this, the people who were reporting it, um, Max Bielefeld is the latest, right? And he, he has some pretty good sources. So I I don't want to slam it at all. I find it odd. I mean, 
Rafa and I are probably much closer to reporting to Bayern Munich, and it feels the feel like every winter since or every transfer window since Hassan Salihamidzic has been on, he's been linked to to Bayern in one way or another, and um, to now see him maybe go to Borussia Dortmund and very talented player and really struggled after that Achilles heel injury. You and I both looked at the numbers of what players look like when they have come back from that sort of injury, and it's not pretty. Isn't it like only about 20% of all players reach their full potential again, um, according to a UEFA study, right? So interesting that they are trying to get him now, if it's true and if it happens, because I, as we just pointed out, it doesn't address any of the issues that they, they really have at the moment. I mean, I do think they have enough depth in the attack. There is um, a few players that, you know, they haven't really utilized. Renier comes to mind who they have on loan from Real Madrid, right? So to add another player there, they must get a very good deal from Chelsea if, if they're doing this. And they must have something else planned as well. Because otherwise, I think this is the sort of deal that doesn't really address their needs. It's going to be an odd one. And of course, Borussia Dortmund now, like every other team across Europe, are going to get a little bit of a break playing football-wise. It's a real strange one because I'm not sure they need another attacker. I think maybe they're conscious they don't look as fluid. But I'd say a team who certainly are creating at the moment is Bayer Leverkusen. They might well be able to grab another goal through Patrick Schick and that's what they've done. Classy goal by Schick. My goodness me. Well, that's what Patrick Schick is capable of. Rafa, Patrick Schick, is he the real deal? Yes or no? I think he's a very good striker. I I don't know if he's quite the same level as as some of the strikers ahead of him in the Bundesliga are concerned. But Leverkusen are in a bit bit of a role at the moment. They have a real nice sense of rhythm to it. And of course, it helps when your your centre-forward is is on form and plays with a renewed confidence, I think, in that respect. His Euros was very important for Leverkusen. He came back, I think, a lot more happy with himself and, and able to lead the line more effectively. Of course, a new manager sometimes helps in that respect as well. So, yeah, I think he looks it looks very encouraging. The best two goals that they scored were scored by Augsburg. Uh, it must be said as well. Some wonderful finishes, uh, just a wrong net. But, um, yeah, Leverkusen are, are one to watch. I mean, it's always difficult hyping them up and, and praising them too much because they let you down so often and they have so much potential and have a habit of just not utilizing that very effectively. So I'm very cautious after many, many years of thinking, okay, this is going to be the year when they do something special. But this is a very good team. They have real quality throughout the team. And yeah, they should they should really be at least, at the very least, pushing the top three a little bit closer this season. While I've got you on there, Raf, I'm just going to ask you, are you a little bit surprised that Gray was allowed to leave so easily? Obviously, you know, he had a release clause, but are you surprised how low it was considering what he's doing at Everton at the moment? Is that a, something that maybe Leverkusen can look back on at the end of the season and say maybe if? Or do you think just the way they're playing at the moment, they're not going to miss that type of attacking footballer at all? Well, it just didn't work out for him. I, I can't tell you the exact reasons. I don't know if it was due due to him just not settling in or if it was tactical or it was a problem with the manager. It's very difficult to say without knowing the real ins and outs. And I don't in this particular case. But I think the, the release clause reflected... Leverkusen giving up on him to a certain extent and it it happens sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong as a club often players work at one particular club and at another they don't or in another league they don't and it's very difficult to understand why that is a little bit surprised I think the way that he was a non-entity at Leverkusen and now suddenly has become really important for Everton in such such quick succession 
Manu, Rafa makes a great point earlier on there about how Leverkusen often disappoint you. It doesn't seem that long ago when we were talking about could they win the title? And then, of course, they were beaten by Bayern Munich just before the winter break. And we never really saw them again. They just slipped down the table. Are you a little hesitant about saying they could go a little bit further this season? I don't personally have them as a title challenger, but top four, yes. How do you look at them at the moment? I've been kind of laughing here while I had my microphone muted because, of course, uh, a few years ago, I went out there saying, suggesting that they could win the title. And <laughs> that, that tip fell so flat on his face. I think I'm going to be um, one of those people that are going to be very careful suggesting anything about positive about Bayer Leverkusen. And uh, even though, you know, I know a lot of people that work at the club and know the excellent work that they are doing there. I'm with Rafa. I think that they have a good team and I think they're doing a lot of things right and they, they're very they're doing some interesting things in, in terms of how they identify talent, um, sign the talent and trying to, you know, there's a real philosophy in the players that they're trying to bring in. And, and I know that's why they signed Gray. I'm not 100% sure why it didn't work out in the end, but I know why why they signed him in the first place, right? Because he, he fit a certain profile of of player that they wanted and i mean they have done that same thing again bringing in um um adli amini adli and just a few few days ago who was you know linked with all sorts of big clubs in germany including bayern munich right so i think they're doing a lot of things right i think that there is a really good sense in how they're developing the side and what they want to what kind of football they want to play and i think they, there is a good recipe there to be successful whether they can challenge for the title you know, you're not going to hear that from me, Chris. <laughs> well, I mean, as it stands at the moment, Bayer Leverkusen sits second after match day three. And I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows my feelings that you don't even look at the table until match day 10. So, I, I mean, they sit second at the moment. We'll wait and see what happens. But one team that did get a very big win over the weekend was Christian Schreik's Freiburg in that derby game against Stuttgart. Rafa, Manu and I, plus plenty of previous guests, have spoke on just how good a coach Christian Strike is. I've got him down as one of the best in the Bundesliga. Where does he rate for you? He does rate very highly. I think he'd be rating even more highly if you got a sense that he could be doing the same thing somewhere else, but you don't. You, you get the sense that this is the best possible coach for Freiburg, but I just cannot see him work at Dortmund, at Leverkusen or at Bayern. Um, maybe I'm lacking uh, in imagination and maybe he's much more adaptable than, than I give him credit for. But it feels to me a little bit like Otto Rehagel at Bremen and later at Lauten, that he is a guy that has found his environment. You know, he takes his bike to the training ground because he lives around the corner. It's that sort of very close relationship that I'm not sure would work anywhere else. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm also still, I have to admit, struggling to see what it is he is actually doing so well. I can see that he is doing well in terms of the results and getting performances out of his team that really, you look individually, they have no right in getting it. But when you look at the numbers of what Freiburg are doing in terms of the chances they create or chances they concede, there is actually nothing extraordinary in there, yet the results are. So I still quite haven't figured out what it is. Uh, or what, what the secret recipe is, but he clearly has it. 
He's definitely the, the right shaped peg in the right shaped hole, isn't he? In, in football terms and analogy, we often say, oh, he's a bit of a square peg in a round hole. But a little like Frank Schmidt um, over at Heidenheim, Manu, he just seems, to, those two seem to gel, Strike and Freiburg. I tend to agree with Rafa there. I think if he moved on somewhere like Dortmund or Bayern or even Leipzig or maybe in another side like Wolfsburg, I don't think he gets the same sort of reaction. It just seems a match made in heaven. Yeah, first of all, Rafa, are you suggesting Munich isn't a bike-friendly city? It's very bike-friendly, but to live near, um, yeah, I mean, you can live near Sebenerstrasse, of course. I even actually took the bike during the Euros to the Allianz Arena and was surprised how how close it actually is from the center of town. But no, um, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that in a bigger place at a bigger club, I think his very Freiburg-tinged um, brand of of coaching and magic perhaps would lose some of its luster. It's a very good point, isn't it? That it's the familiarity too that you have in Freiburg, and I I, I think he very much creates that. It's a very much a small club feel, and it, I guess it's similar to what you suggesting with Heidenheim too, right, Chris? I mean, the, he's almost is the club, and whenever we had look at Freiburg in the most successful periods they had. Polka Finke comes to mind, right? That they they had that almost like sense of community, and it, it almost feels like he's leading. He's the leader of a youth hostel rather than a football club, isn't it? Um, you know, the, this collection of players that, in some ways, haven't really worked out somewhere else. Grifo is one example. Egestein, who's just joined them, is another example, and he makes them almost better in this collective. And yeah, I, I think there is there is just some sense of familiarity. Um, I think it's interesting that you bring up Otto Rehagel there, Rafa, because it, that, that seemed the same, feel the same way, right? When he was at Bremen and he had that sense of community there, and Bremen is a much smaller city than the Munich in many ways, and um, he couldn't really translate that at all to to the Sebener Straße. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting. One. I don't, I personally don't think he he would work anywhere else either. I suppose we should really speak about Stuttgart, who came off. A heavy defeat going into this derby. Do they look a little bit less stable than they did last season? For you, Rafa, of course, I had a really good season. Obviously, most notably costing Lucien Favre his job with a wonderful victory at the Westfalenstadion. So a little bit of a worrying time for Stuttgart or just early doors teething problems? No, I think if you look at their uh, lengthy injury list, it was probably to be expected that they would lose a couple of games. But I was very impressed how they played against Goethe Fürth in, in the opening Game of the season, maybe that was because Greuther Fürth will look a lot of teams look really good. I'm not, I'm not so sure. But no, I, I don't worry about Stuttgart at all. I think they're going to be really good. I think some of the signings that they've made, once they have uh, a bit of time to adjust and, and get used to the to the league, look really exciting. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about them at all. Manu, as Rafa says there, Stuttgart have got a number of players out, nine in total with the majority of them being either their wingers or their central forwards. Can you see any problems for them? No, I think Kalacic is obviously a big miss for them. But I mean, just even we touched on it in the very beginning that, you know, on paper, Stuttgart should have probably won that game. Uh, I know you always point out football isn't played on paper, but you you look at the XG and the stats and the way they, they approach this game. I think they were a little bit unfortunate. Um, of course, you know, going down 3-0 doesn't help. But, um, you know, on paper, they were the better side. And results like that happen. I don't think they need to worry too much about, about this particular game. 
Okay, so talking about results that tend to happen, I'm going to move on to Hertha Berlin, who were, I think, absolutely smashed, is probably the right term, by Bayern. It doesn't seem that long ago that I was in the Olympiastadion, although it feels a long time ago, and Jürgen Klinsmann was in charge, and it didn't particularly go that well on that day for Hertha against Bayern. Manu, Klinsmann said a couple of things on ESPN's halftime show, most notably that if you don't get people in who can score goals, um, you might go down into the second Bundesliga. <laughs> How did you take that comment, bearing in mind that little bit of history there? It's uh, It was interesting seeing the comments on American television and knowing the history that he has um, with many people who work in American football, right? And uh, he has a, quite a big platform um, on this continent. So, you know, he, he, he comes out and he says things and... Um, he gets very heavily criticized for it. And then, of course, there is that that history with Hertha. You and I were in Hamburg when he basically stepped down from Hertha, from the Hertha job using Facebook. And I think to this day, that's probably one of the most comical things that we've ever seen in the Bundesliga. And uh, right, in my opinion, rightfully so, earned him a lot of criticism. And um, having spoken to Jürgen since, I... I understand maybe where it's come from, and I think he recognizes that it was a mistake. But at the same time, of course, when he makes those sort of comments, there is going to be a, a backlash, right? There's going to be backlash from people that follow Hertha, uh, whether it is in Germany or abroad, and we're saying, well, look, um, it wasn't exactly better when you were there, and or look the the your your coaching past, whether it was uh, at Bayern Munich or then at Hertha or the U.S. national teams at times. Um. It, it wasn't exactly successful. But at the same time, I actually think he's right. I mean, he's pointing out a lot of the, the problems at Hertha that do exist. I mean, these are real problems. This team isn't very well put together. It's sort of gone through various coaches that all kind of put their fingerprints on it. And at the same time, you know, spend a lot of money, money that was given to them by Lars Windhorst, an investor that is in newspapers in Germany for all sorts of things. Um, there's all these suspicions that he actually doesn't have the money yet. I mean, he's paid the money. First and foremost, he's actually given Hertha the money. And so it's there, right? But I mean, there, there seems to be such a mix of different things. And then, of course, um, Paul Dardai is saying all sorts of things today about, you know, if, if he's not a big enough coach for this club, then he's willing to go back to U16 and coach them instead. There's a lot of problems there. And I, I think Klinsmann is right. Um, you know, if they don't fix those problems quick, you can end up in Bundesliga 2 very quickly. I think we saw after his, his earlier set of comments that, and his comments throughout when he makes them, eventually he's proved he's proved correct. The, the, everybody looks back and goes, actually, I think he was telling the truth there or he, he was onto something. Rafa, I'm not going to ask you a Hertha too big to go down because obviously the second Bundesliga is full of massive sides at the moment, most notably Schalke and, of course, Hamburg, who seem to have been there for a very long time now. But is it looking to be a bit of an issue for you? I mean, consistently with the investment they've had, that man who said, with the squad they've got, they should be fighting for top six, but they seem to be down the wrong end of the table and looking like that could continue again. There's just no sense that this is a team that works as a collective, both in both senses of the word. They were all over the place without the ball. They had people playing that really didn't seem to be knowing what they're doing. I sympathize slightly with Klinsmann's point because, you know, Belfadil didn't start and uh, Jovetic is still very fresh in the team. And you have uh, Piontek, who's by far their best centre forward injured at the moment. 
Kevin Prince Boateng, who will probably play as a second striker, if not through the middle, uh, is also not available. And he was supposed to be a big player for them. So there are still names to come back. There is still an improvement to be had. Davy Selke is not going to lead the line forever. I think if he was your main striker, you would be worried. Uh, but he isn't. He's probably their third or fourth choice centre forward. So they should get better. But of course, there is this wider problem that Dada is alluding to, or not even alluding, he's been basically spelling out the sense that maybe he's not considered quite glamorous and, and big enough a coach to be spearheading this ongoing, slow-burning Hatter revolution. And while that problem is not resolved, and we had the same with, with Blabadia before, you don't get the sense that Hertha are going to be really on a path of sustainable growth. It's very stop-start. They take a couple of steps forward, then they go backwards again. Last year, they saved themselves. Everyone was happy. Paldade was Hertha through and through. You're thinking, okay, this is going to be a season of consolidation and really going forward. And, and they look worse than last year at the moment. And now the question is, will they, will they panic? What would Lars Winters has been getting in, getting involved on on social media, basically saying this can't go on. Anne Friedrich has been very vocal. Carsten Schmidt, the new CEO, has been saying tactically uh, there were deficits. Doesn't sound very you know assuring for the for for the manager. So I think there is there's a lot more upheaval along the way, and if they're not careful, when you have too many changes and too many corrections you know you, you correct to the correction and you correct again and you change you change direction too many times you go down so I wouldn't put it past them to get into the relegation battle once more this season well one club who looked like they certainly won't be in a relegation battle is of course Bayern who thumped Hertha on the weekend Manu I think do, do we all get a little bit excited from a draw straight off. Did we think there was a couple of vulnerabilities in there in that Bayern side under Julian Nagelsmann? Can someone else come in and, and win the title? Or have the last two games shown you that, in fact, Bayern is still the dominant side and everybody else is just a little off the pace? Oh, of course, they're still the most dominant side. I, I mean, um, I think anyone, with everything that we just said about Hertha, right? It's It's quite obvious that they weren't going to be the one that maybe take a point of Bayern or two points of Bayern rather, or maybe all three. And so I'm not too surprised by this result. Uh, I do think that they, the way they played was probably the, the most dominant self. Uh, you know, when you when they have their best 11 out and without injuries, I don't think anyone is going to be able to beat them um, easily or at all, uh, whether it is in the Bundesliga or in Europe. I thought that there was some very a few interesting things in there. First of all, that of course Musiala started over Leroy Sané and very much took took that opportunity, and that shows you, you know, that maybe Nagelsmann very much is willing to say like put his, the star man on on the bench and play the better players, which um, you know the politics in the club that that's always I find that interesting and it's probably not great news for the rest of the league either. Um, so yeah, I mean that's Bayern, it's Bayern's title to lose, a hundred percent. And you know they have they have a very very good side. And I think the other teams just need to need to if they want to get some if they want to beat Bayern to the title, um, they also need to show the sort of consistency that we haven't seen from them yet either, right? 
Um, look, we talked about Dortmund already, and we're going to talk about Leipzig in a moment. But yeah, I think that you know very much Bayern are probably going to win the title again. Rafa, a lot of people have been speaking about strikers this week, especially with forwards moving for crazy money and potential bids coming in. Of course, PSG were heavily linked with some sort of crazy move for Erling Haaland before the window shuts. But Robert Lewandowski once again scores a hat-trick. The most complete striker in Europe for you? Yeah, of course. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He's he's somebody who's worked continuously on his game to become better in every single aspect, in the air, on the ground. Physically, he's still in incredible shape considering that he's well on the wrong side of 30 by now. But still looks like he's at the very, very top. And as you said, as far as pure centre-forwards are concerned, I don't think anyone comes close at the moment. Yes, there is Messi who does very amazing things and is, of course somebody who can do stuff with the ball that, that no one else can. And, and Ronaldo is still not bad. And you see that Mbappe and, and Haaland are, are catching up. But Lewandowski is still, I think, in a, in a league of his own as far as a real centre-forward is concerned. So Bayern are very, very lucky, I think, that they, that they have him. And I think Ulu Hoeneß was right the other day when he talked about both Manuel Neuer and Lewandowski as being sort of the bedrocks of, of Bayern's ascent and, and dominance certainly domestically over the last uh, six or seven years uh, with Neuer going back a little bit further those two have have made have made all the difference at both sides of the pitches where it matters most you mentioned the dominance that they've got there a, a bad thing for the league as we're coming up if they were to win the 10th title is it good for the DFL internationally of course Juventus dominated Serie A for a bit and PSG have ran away with the league of course didn't last season but is it bad PR for the Bundesliga, do you feel, that they could go on and get 10 in a run? Does it need another winner? So there's no doubt that, of course, variety and, and title race and, and unpredictability is good for, for, for the product. You know, you want to tune in not knowing what the outcome is, not just any given game, but also the outcome of the title race. That is part of the attraction, especially for an international audience. Domestic audience care a lot less what happens because they care about their team, whether their team win or lose. They're not going to start not watching it because one particular team is winning and theirs isn't, especially the other way around. That's not going to happen either. So there's no doubt internationally, I think it would really help if we would see another period of relative weakness, if we could see a Dortmund really challenging and winning a couple of titles, if we could see maybe Leipzig going from a contender to, to to a team that actually wins the big trophies. I don't know if we can really talk about any other team even being in the conversation then itself is a problem. I mean, the Bundesliga needs more Bayerns and Dortmunds. That is, they, that is basically the bottom line because if you had more Bayerns and Dortmunds, then the Bayern and Dortmund wouldn't basically have things their own way. And of course, Dortmund might say that even they haven't had things their own way as, as far as second place is concerned in recent years because they've been a little bit underwhelming and inconsistent. But certainly for Bayern, they could do with that with that challenge. But the challenge will not come from Bayern, I feel. Even when you consider some of the mistakes they've made and the uncertainty that's come with that uh, period of transition with the leadership changing and uh, also I think with the transition on the pitch that's, that's halfway through and the team of 2013 being on their way out, they're still too good not to win at the moment, too big to fail almost. And that's a problem, but it's difficult to see where that change can come from unless you have a real transformative manager 
like Jurgen Klopp was at Dortmund, or you have a transformative owner. But for reasons that I'm sure you've discussed many times and our listeners will be familiar with, it's very difficult to do that in the Bundesliga. So difficult to see any change in the immediate future. Manu, for you, I know we've spoken many a time on the benefits and the the possible downsides of a of a dominant Bayern. But your piece on would it be bad for a ten in a row? And also, I know you're probably dying to say something on Robert Lewandowski as well. I, I personally think it it would be bad internationally for the league uh, if Bayern win it again. I think the DFL does a very good job downplaying it. Um, you know, whenever I speak to anyone at the DFL, they always say that look, we have all these other interesting races going on and. And I think if you if you watch the individual games, the Dortmund Hoffenheim game on Friday was a good example. The league is anything but boring, right? But if you're just a casual observer, if you're someone sitting in a bar in America and you're choosing your sports league and you're used to a world in which salary cap is everything, where you can support pretty much any team of the 32 teams and you have a shot at the title, right? Even if that shot is minimal, you have a shot at the title. And then you look at the Bundesliga and you look, oh, we won the title the last few years. And you see Bayern, 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 Bayern. You say, okay, well, that's not my league I'm going to watch. Um, and I think that is an issue. And I think you, they can't address it. It's not the DFL's job to address it. Uh, I'm not suggesting that at all. But I do think that even in Bayern's interest, it would be even in Bayern's interest internationally to... And I'm not suggesting they should just roll over and not win the title. I think that's um, in many ways even illegal. But, you know, it would be even in their own interest if someone else in the league was good or just as good as they are, um, or maybe even two or three teams, you know, in similar fashion to what we have it in the Premier League or now in La Liga where there's three teams challenging for the title. I think that'd be good for the league. Um, as for Robert Lewandowski and Manuel Neuer, I, I do think that they've defined an error at the club. And I'm I'm kind of curious what you think Rafa, is this when those two do finally leave? And I think with Lewandowski, that could be sooner rather than later. Not this year, of course, but sooner maybe than Neuer. Do you think that that's maybe when we see that break? Is that when maybe they're going to have that little bit of a wobble that will be just enough for the rest of the league to catch up? I'm not sure because what Bayern's position allows them is to make mistakes and still and still win. You know, you can buy an 80 million euro defender in Lucas Hernandez who you're still not quite sure about because of his injury problems and it, it doesn't really register. You can bring in players who don't really help you, but your core is so strong that it 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 might matter in Europe where it comes down to one or two games, but over 34 games, it's not enough to stop you from winning. There will, of course, be a transition. There will, of course, be a new team emerging. You, you will have to have a team that will be built around Leon Goretzka and, and, and Joshua Kimmich, but they're already so far when it comes to being leaders, that you feel that the dressing room and the team as a whole will be in good hands with those two guys leading the line rather than than Neuer and Müller and Lewandowski will be gone in a couple of years. So it's very difficult to think that Bayern will be significantly worse. If anything, I think, if they feel that their transfer policy hasn't been quite up to scratch, they might make changes. They might think, you know what, we'll, we'll do things differently uh, under... Oliver Kahn and Herbert Hein, I think they will emancipate themselves from the old regime and maybe they come with their own ideas and with their own people above, uh, sorry, below them. So that's, I think, something to watch for the next couple of years. But no, I think unless you change the basic equation, which is Bayern 
turning over give or take 700, 800 million euros and Dortmund is second with about 450, 500, depending on how many players they sell, it's going to be very, very hard for everyone else. And I I don't have a solution. I think one thing that might help, which I outlined in, a, in an article I wrote for The Athletic last year, is quite controversial, which would be to make the Bundesliga a lot smaller uh, because there are frankly teams in there that have very low following don't really add much as far as the uh, excitement and the experience is concerned. You could take them out. You can make it a 14 Bundesliga and then distribute the money a lot more evenly. So you would strengthen the lower sides and the middle sides a lot more. They could hold on to their players a lot longer and you wouldn't probably lose a lot in TV money because the lower teams don't really get that many people subscribing, etc. And then you'd free up uh, weeks for maybe having a different format of the German FA Cup, maybe with the semi-final and final, home and away. Or, you know, you could think about other ways of, of maybe promoting the league in those extra day games that you have spare. But I don't think it'll ever, <laughs> it'll ever be adopted because who's going to vote for their own exclusion of the Bundesliga? You know, going down from, from 18 to 14 or 18 to 16, it's very difficult to see anyone voting for that. So uh, it'd probably remain a pipe dream. It's interesting, though, because the league, league did start with 16 teams, didn't it? And that seemed almost like a better size for it. I find it interesting that a lot of people are pushing for 20 teams rather than making it smaller, which would probably make the product even worse. Yeah, I don't see... I mean, the the one thing you get from making it bigger is you you hope that you have one of your blue chip clubs or two or three of them back in the league, and that will create excitement. But in terms of the strength of the Bundesliga, in my view, the fewer teams, the better. You could just have a much more equitable distribution of the TV uh, income. And in a 14-team league, you know, half the league would be fighting for the Champions League and the other half would be fighting against relegation, but also the UEFA Cup at the same time, the Europa League, I should say, and the Conference League. So I think every single game would become a lot more meaningful, more yeah, impactful on, on, on what happens, but unlikely to happen, extremely unlikely to happen. Well, whether the Bundesliga drops down to Rafa's radical suggestion of 14 teams there, or if it goes up to 20 or just stays as it is, we did have one team down to challenge for this season's title, and that's Leipzig. How did they get on on Sunday afternoon? Wolfsburg looking to mean a little bit more business here. Renato Stefan, they can't hold on to it. Rusio scores. That's exactly what the Wolfsburg fans wanted. We've seen a goal. It's come courtesy of Peter Galacci, basically pushing that ball out right in front of Jerome Roussillon. Rafa, surprised that Leipzig didn't pick up a win away at Wolfsburg? Uh, yes and no. I mean, Wolfsburg is, is tough. Um, we know that they defend really well. They're a slightly different team under Mark van Bommel. I think he wants to play a bit more football, but they still have all these defensive instincts from Oliver Glasner, where they really were one of the best sides defensively, and they have great defensive players. So. It's not a disgrace to lose there, but of course, Leipzig, I think, have been a little bit disappointing uh, so far in their performances. You'd expect them to to really go for it and to have all the impact of a new coach and the motivational qualities that Jesse Marsh brings to the table, but you haven't really seen it that much. And some of the stuff is quite basic. I think today he said that you know they didn't win enough uh, 1v1s, they... Uh, uh, didn't quite have enough energy and dynamism in the final third. This kind of stuff is, you'd expect Leipzig to have all that. So 
maybe one or two warning signs that the transition from Nagelsmann isn't that straightforward and that maybe that Nagelsmann was perhaps getting a lot out of this team, which a lesser coach, I dare say, might not be able to get out as consistently. So that that's that's something I'd be a little bit worried about if I was working at Leipzig or, or, or even following them. One or two warning signs that uh, Jesse Marsh might have a difficult season. Manu, we spoke last week about the pressure that Jesse Marsh might be under, that druck that's coming down on his shoulders now. Rafa makes a good point about Leipzig didn't really look that coherent. I certainly couldn't see a structure at times, especially in the second half. They didn't seem to have a way of playing or any way of trying to get back that equalising goal. And, and in the end, they looked to be an extremely frustrated side. Have you seen any improvement under their tactics when they fall behind a goal like we saw on match day one? Uh, no, I, I, I actually thought that both sides were quite awful. We both, we chatted during the game, right? And um, it was this was not a good game to watch. I, I thought it was choppy, really, really choppy throughout. And um, that probably suited Wolfsburg a lot more than Leipzig. The, the, I think the refereeing team didn't help either, right? And every every little tiny foul was was whistled down, and the game was broken up in, into to- tiny little segments, and it was just. Mm, awful to watch and when you when you look at some of these stats like past completion stats for both sides were were in the mid 70s and that's that's not bundesliga level you know that's that's not the sort of stats that you expect in this league but you know for wolfsburg it worked and um for leipzig everything was just tanked into the box and hope that andre silver maybe gets on it and and puts it away right i didn't see a structure i didn't see any idea i didn't i saw a lot of players being frustrated there was one moment in the game that i thought was quite telling when uh, mukiele came on and the camera zoomed on it um just at the right time and showed them arguing about um, or t- talking about the formation that they were going to play and really orban does the, the hand signal three right three in the back and mukiele just trucks and um that shows to me that maybe the the they, they ha- they're not quite sure yet the style of football that they didn't want to play. I mean, Jesse at the start of the season said many times that he wants to incorporate a lot of things from the Nagelsmann era, but at the same time, his football at Salzburg was very different, wasn't it? It was more closely to what Ralph Hasenhüttl did um, before. So it's almost like a transition back. And I think it's almost confusing the players a little bit. Well, that brings us to the end of match day three and Rafa while I've got you on here because like me yesterday as we record this you're in Liverpool watching the battle of two German coaches I thought Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea looked unbelievable especially when they went down to 10 men do you think he can win the Premier League with Chelsea with the squad he's got obviously they're the current European champions he just seems to have gone into a side that needed a little bit of polishing and not only has he polished them he sprinkled glitter all over them as well I think they needed a lot of polishing, but he's he's got them quite far in a very short space of time, and they should be better now with the addition of of Lukaku. The problem that I have with them, or the the doubts concern the midfield, they've they've gone into the season with three midfielders. At least one of them is quite injury prone than Conte. Unfortunately, I'm not quite sure that's enough to have just these three guys and really no no real backup. If you think about it, if you go through the team, they're a little bit lopsided. Lots of options up front. Too many centre-backs almost, even though they got rid of one now. But yeah, that central midfield, I think, is a, is a slight concern. 
but yes, of course, they they have what it takes to push City and all the way, and maybe Liverpool. And I think we're going to see a more or less of a, a four a four way race, and should be really really exciting. But Chelsea under conversation. I think that Thomas Tuchel wants to downplay that a little bit because it's almost expected now. You know, after the Champions League, now the next thing is to win the Premier League, and the team is still quite young in places, but. If they as coached, if they're coached as well as they, as they clearly are, and manage to to move as a unit and defend as a unit and work as hard as they do, and then they have quality up front to score goals, it's it's hard not to to see them as as genuine contenders. And of course, there was one German coach who went on to win the Premier League after he won the Champions League. And will Thomas Tuchel match Jurgen Klopp's exploits? Probably some added pressure there that he doesn't want or he doesn't need. But Rafa, thank you very much for joining us. I'd be absolutely shocked if there is one listener to our podcast who doesn't already follow you online and all of your work. But if needed, how can people keep up to date with all of your insight? So the best thing is just to to follow me on Twitter. At uh, Hornigstein is my, my handle. And uh, I usually post the links to all the stuff I write or appear on including this pod. And if you want more, then I'm sure you can find me. And please do go and find Rafa if you haven't already, which I find incredibly hard to believe if you've got a liking of German football or football in general for that matter. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Gagan Pressing. From myself, Chris Williams, and from Manuel Vaith, we'd both like to say once again a thank you to Raphael Honigstein for coming on today's episode. But until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.